hello everyone and welcome back to Mayday Roleplay. I am your storyteller, Caleb Miller, and today you are joining me for the first of our origin sessions of our Vampire the Masquerade playthrough, Vegas by Night. Today, we're going to sit down with Sergio. Uh, Sergio, thank you for being here. Go and say hello to everybody at home. Hello, everybody at home. Happy to oh, be here. beautiful. The, the millions, the masses at home <laughs> tuning in for this, our, our meeting. Um, this time around, we're going to take a look at who Sergio's playing for the game. We're going to have a quick little uh, run through of a day in his life and, and an origin to what truly makes this kindred tick in an effort to get people excited for what we're doing over at Vegas by night to give some insight into who this person is. So uh, without further ado, I think we, yeah, yeah, we, we, we gotta get people hyped, right? We gotta learn how to play the game. We, we gotta feel this thing. Exactly. Uh, without further ado, you feel ready? I'm ready, buddy, let's dive in. This feels bizarre, by the way. This is like opposite of Starforged, and I, oh, yeah. I don't know. It, it's we're, an interesting... We're, we're on the screens, we're literally flipped, too. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're in the storyteller seat. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, good evening, John. Uh, it's a Tuesday at 10 p.m. in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, the desert of Nevada. The meadows of Nevada, as they're translated into English. You have been here for some time, an indiscriminate amount of time we'll, we'll leave for our viewers, um, but today is a turning point. Today, you are standing on the steps leading up to the Arcade Hotel and Casino, the most important new foray into the Strip's huge commerce space. Uh, you've only been here twice before, and even then it was cursory, but tonight, John, You've got a ticket to the big show. Things are looking up. A letter was left for you at your hideout here in Vegas with sprawling gold letterhead addressed to you, John Burroughs. All it read was, come see me sometime, Mr. Grant. You know that sometime means tonight. And from the stories, this is the place he's expecting you at. So here, standing on the stone steps leading up to the arcade, uh, arcade hotel and casino, could you tell us just a little bit about how John looks, how Burroughs holds himself, how Burroughs is feeling today? What does this kindred look like? John Burroughs is standing there in front of the, uh, you said it's a hotel or a casino or both? Hotel and casino, okay. so so it's a, a split level. Yeah, he's kind of lit by the, the fluorescent lighting and stuff um john is a six foot man uh and looks to be uh about 50 pounds overweight for his height uh, he looks to be about late 30s early 40s it's a little hard to tell because of the weight gain uh and his hair and his beard are rather unkempt um you know somewhat like me a, a kind of typical beard uh hair short and kind of a little spiky but more unkempt than than spiky and it's a kind of a a, a dirty blonde almost d dirty brown almost light blonde hair uh with a lot of gray in it a lot of specks of gray 
and he wears a red Hawaiian shirt. He has on these prayer beads around his neck that kind of stand out for some random white guy wear, you know, wearing these prayer beads. And he's got on some shorts because it's Vegas and it's hot. Yeah. And he is wearing sandals, probably. And he is finishing a sandwich. He's been, you know, kind of munching on something. And he's got the, the, the letter in the other hand that he's holding down. He's got the sandwich up. And there's just this energy from him that he just doesn't give a fuck. Uh, and, and, and it's not that he doesn't care about things, but there's just this vibe about him like nothing can phase him. Nothing could surprise him. Um, he just carries himself with a kind of confidence that requires a lot of experience, a lot of time and age and wisdom and experience. Um, but he takes a final bite of the sandwich, probably throws it in a trash, gives his hair one kind of comb just to kind of clean it up a little bit, and then goes inside. Yeah, and there is this air about you that feels uniquely Vegas. There is that feeling of not giving a shit, of having no true concept of what's going on around you outside of what you're looking for, feels locally Vegas. And John has sort of been here long enough to soak up that uh, ray of, of personality there. It's so much so that it's hard to see how much of that was Vegas's influence and how much John just emanates that feeling for everyone else. I like to imagine that many tourists are giving you second looks, wondering if you're, are you drunk? Are you homeless? Yeah. Are you local? You, you never know in Vegas and you're that never know. Everyone is looking at this man who's blindly eating right. the public sandwich and holding the letter aloft and, you know, the, the Hawaiian shirt down to the chest with those big uh, bodacious prayer beads. Are we talking like those large, like, full-on prayer beads? Or Like, imagine, like, on? Buddhist prayer beads that are, it's a relatively long necklace and it ends, like, in a little red tassel, you know, <laughs> and there's just, like, you know, countless beads, maybe a couple dozen or something. Um, in which he does, you know, on the on the occasion, grab and run mm -hmm. through his fingers and stuff. But yeah, he he's kind of like the modern, or he he carries himself like a modern millionaire, where they dress like hobos, but they have tons of money. That that kind of thing, that kind right. of vibe. Exactly. I don't I don't have to care because I'm so successful. Sure. Right? Um, so you step into the the uh, arcade hotel, and obviously the the building from the outside is incredibly impressive. Uh, it is named specifically for the, the type of structure, a arched out uh, building that extends out in this huge rectangle that dominates the southern half of the strip there. It's brand new. It was just put in uh, a few years ago and it's still being built to this day. There are wings that are shut off to the rest of guests and largely the uh, premier suites and the casino itself are the only accessible uh, points. But the building is gorgeous absolutely gorgeous a love letter to old art deco structures and this huge arch that goes on forever and sticks out of the vegas skyline like a like a sore tooth right um i think that that burrows you know starts walking through and is admiring all the new stuff uh that is in yet it, you know it has a retro vibe which is kind of ironic but he'll probably go up to where he knows the management is or uh where you know someone who looks like they're in charge is, and he'll probably just hand them the letter. Right. 
you walk in and you, you scoot past doormen and, and ushers who are all dressed in these same sort of crushed velvet royal blue uh, uniforms that are are uh, topped off with these very intricate hats that you didn't expect for, for a uniform in Vegas um, that are almost made of like sheep's fur mm. uh, and, and pointed out to these diagonals. And they give you looks like oh god, another drunk has wandered into the arcade hotel. It's very clear that their interpretation of you is not a, uh, oh, he's come to spend money point of view. Uh, I, I think I think that Burroughs will, w- would walk up to the guy with the crushed blue velvet, yeah. kind of hand him the letter and just say, blue velvet, and just hand it to him. Smile. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. That's beautiful. Thank you. You can tell he's trying to be overly polite in the face of this, not fully understanding whether you're Vegas or an actual customer, right? (laughs) Uh, He takes the letter uh, uh, very um, nervously, but immediately recognizes the script on the front and the letterhead itself. He opens it up and he says, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, Excuse any interruption. Sir, is there anything I can get you while uh, while you wait, while we prepare everything for you? Um, Is there anything we can do to accommodate you? You guys got good fries here? French fries. Sure, yes, absolutely. Yeah, the kitchen... I'll take a plate of that while I'm waiting. Uh, sure, sure. He catches one of the doormen. He goes, please, palm frites for the gentleman. Uh, and he goes marching off into uh, the casino area, pass through. And you can hear the raucous sounds of this music that's trying to blare out the sound of uh, slot machines. It's sort of like a, it's lit like a VIP club in here. It's very low on lighting, but gilded in gold everywhere and this this white marble it's very um it's classy but not in a way that says gauche it's not like caesar's where people think it's classy it's actually trying to be and it it uniquely uses some cultures that john being who he is probably recognizes some some asian influence some eastern european uh some african influence all across uh their architecture and everything so he sits you down he does warn you that it's going to be a long wait um and he's not wrong uh within an hour uh, uh, to kill here, John has brought some fries. Uh, is there anything else that John does to kill the time in between actually being answered for this he, call? He probably starts flirting with the girl that brings him the the palm fritz, you know, joking, oh, is that French? And starts, to, you know, trying to talk to her in broken French and stuff. And um, honestly, if it's going to be an hour, he probably gets up and starts wandering the general vicinity. If there are folks who are working at craps tables and stuff, he'll probably throw a buck down and more for the conversation than than anything else and by the time that hour is up there's probably two or three people like all right john we'll see you later john you know that kind of thing yes you immediately make an impression at the table and in fact you start encouraging everyone to keep betting with you and by the end of your hour the table is just about doubled the amount of money they've lost on this game <laughs> so the house is probably so very happy with john at this point um and, and walking back you do catch the eye of that same waitress who brought you the fries and she waves as i walk past her i'll literally walk up to her and give her a kiss on the lips <laughs> as you do that she looks absolutely shocked just gobsmacked uh, as you pull away she's she's looking at you go ahead and roll uh, let, let's take a look here. I, uh, I, I will say that my character has a, uh, under the presence discipline, lingering kiss. Okay. 
Uh, it says here, the vampire can gain bonuses to their social pools against targets that they have kissed. I haven't kissed her yet. The vampire can choose to use his power during each feeding, etc. So j okay. just should I succeed, oh, I'll got probably it. use that on her. I love that. Give me a uh, persuasion plus, uh, let's call this charisma. Because I think John charisma, is yeah, total charisma here. Persuasion. Definitely things that I do, that I know, that I am confident about. So let's see. That's a three and two total. So that's five dice. Let's see how we do. Five pool. Anything six or above will earn you a success. Two successes with an eight and a seven. Beautiful. That is more than enough to woo some girl off a casino trail, right? She looks at you and she looks at you the way uh, someone might look at like their crazy uncle or, or someone who is a part of the family at the cookout who just got a little too drunk. And she kind of waves you off. She says, aren't you the sweetest little thing? Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, and she looks spitting in a way that says, um, please never do that again, but we'll let you get off on that uh, the first time, right? And in that instant, as you're looking at this auburn-haired, beautiful woman, 23 years old, working her way through Vegas, you imagine in your head the, the, the trials and tribulations she's trying to put herself through just, just to keep the lifestyle of a place like this. And when you meet her eyes the second time and she's, t she's telling you you're so sweet, there's something that broils in you um it's something you've become akin to ever since well ever since you turned into what you are there is a flash fire in your body like heat emanating throughout your veins like waves crashing over you waves of heat of of flame of fire there is that voice creeping through your heart again you could kill her right here take her blood, drain her dry. She could be yours. You're familiar with that voice spoken to you before. How does John deal that voice as it drums up in his old aging body? John has experienced a variance of this when he was alive. Um, he has, he knows how to woo a woman or at least the women that he you know could woo when he was alive and he knows that that rush of of flirting with someone of of you know the the, the risk and the reward you know the that kind of feeling and and that feeling of of sexual energy kind of rising up inside of you when when you make a connection like that and even though she's you know giving me the 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 uncle vibe I know that my kiss has even more of an effect than it did when I was alive. Mm -hmm. um, as a vampire, I have this lingering kiss discipline, and it I know that she's mine in a way that she doesn't even understand. The right. next time I see her, the next time I need something from her, it 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 she will she will be affected by me in a way that she just doesn't understand. And that is part of the rush, knowing that I have that. Right. But as soon as that 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 image of me kind of biting down on her neck comes to mind, Burroughs recoils a little bit at that. He doesn't want that. He wants the other stuff, but he doesn't want to hurt her. And so he looks at her name tag. Does she have a name tag? Yeah, her name is Annie. 
he looks at Annie and uh, he smiles and he says, I'll see you around, Annie. And he just walks past her uh, faster than maybe he would before, only because that image, he can't get it out of his mind and he, and he doesn't like it. The fire starts to fade, at least for a moment, as you quell back the beast, that fast-talking devil that lives inside you. And you can see the lingering sight of Annie connecting with your eyes, John, as she is wondering just what happened there. For a moment, she was yours and she was watching, and then this interesting, bizarre man walks out of her life and out of that room. And you can feel her gaze as you're walking away like her eyes on the back of you. Um, and just as you're embroiled in all of this thought, the doorman, or I'm sorry, the receptionist turns the corner again and is standing directly in front of you. He looks nervous. He looks wide-eyed. He looks like he's never really ran into this situation, if you were intuiting anything. He looks directly at you. He says, he's ready for you. Follow me. He, you know, I, I, I get stopped by him and I see that he's kind of sweating and a little nervous and I just kind of, you know, brush his shoulders and kind of pat him on the arms and lead the way. Sure. <laughs> he, he walks you through, back through the hall and down uh, this big expanse. Imagine this arcade, this arch goes on forever and the whole building is built out of this with this main walkway. The casino Weird. off to your right, the elevators for the main rooms off to your left. But at the very end of this arch, at the very end of this thoroughfare, um, is this single elevator behind red rope with long, crushed uh, royal blue velvet rugs leading up to the elevator itself and a single gold button on the side. Uh, above it, it reads Penthouse. Uh, he walks you through, and you're walking past basically six leagues of, uh, of armed guards. Uh, they don't advertise that they're armed, obviously, but a keen eye can easily guess that those jackets are not meant for uh, formal occasions. They're meant for hiding the 9mm at your side. Sure. Um, but walking through, you, you can feel their eyes on you. You can feel them uh, watching you. And there's a preternatural sense. Um, they, they can always say that two predators can recognize each other in the wild you can feel in them uh, a kinship to you. Um, and I, that... uh, I, I will, you know, walk past, but I have experience with uh, security and know that they're people too and know that they have their opinions of people and I'll just kind of probably give a couple of folks a, a nod, a wink. Be friendly. No need to, to be standoffish. Understood. Yeah, they they respond uh, as security usually does on on duty, and they give you these cold glances. But it doesn't seem unwelcoming. You're Good obviously <laughs> you're obviously important enough to earn the elevator. So they, they give you an eyebrow look as you you tell them to keep working, and uh, the receptionist hits the button for you and stands still. The doors open, and the elevator is yours. Um, you step in. It's uh, it, it's well and truly lonely in there, and the doors shut behind you. You you recognize that no one's checked yourself for guns, no one's checked for weapons, no one's checked for much of anything. You've been let through. Uh, letters still in your hand, returned to you by the receptionist as it starts to glide up. I think it, as it as it glides up, just to combat the nervous energy of whoever the hell I'm about to go meet. Uh, what did you say their name was, by the way? Grant. Grant. Which John would know 
if you would like to know, obviously. I, I, um, I would like to know. I'll just paint the picture by saying that he's going up the elevator, kind of singing to himself more than anything. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory rise. You know, just, just kind of singing a gospel hymn to himself. Right. That hymn fits in nicely. There is some uh, some very, uh, don't think smooth jazz, think performance jazz playing in this elevator. It's, it's a huge sort of concerto of all these musicians filling in on top of each other. And John's voice, as nice as it is, really complements the feeling. And in fact, John intuits into how to place the god's word uh, god's words into those little pockets and create Gosh. some jazz himself um as you start to glide up and it god it feels like forever but you have an awareness that you're about to meet the new management you're about to meet the new prince of las vegas um aloysius grant has just recently within the last year taken full ownership of the camarilla within las vegas now officially outward facing there is no Prince of Las Vegas. He died. Arthur Cost lost his life in 2019, and the city has been sprawling ever since, trying to fill the power vacuum that was left when our former prince was decapitated on Las Vegas Boulevard in front of millions, Damn. in front of the whole world. <laughs> and things have just sort of spiraled since then. Um, and your situation has become no less um, restrictive uh, under that uh, hold but everyone has been in a sort of waiting pattern, holding pattern trying to see what comes next now you've got me intrigued as a player what, how, how did they spin someone getting beheaded on the Las Vegas Strip so the there was parade? a lot of discussion uh, and Las Vegas has a very easy uh, easy get out and it's something Los Angeles uses a lot as well and that's, it was linked back to gang murder uh, in the side of the street. And it just so happened that the uh, the victim was heavily connected to several crime rings within Las Vegas. Looking deeply into Arthur Koss' background, it was found out that he had a lot going on with uh, different criminal syndicates with, throughout Nevada and all of the West Coast. Uh, and obviously this was a gang hit. Who else would send a message other than to decapitate? Makes sense, too. The cartels do a lot of that decapitation yes. as well. Now, the curious thing is that after this decapitation, the police uh, found no remains, or at least uh, there was no body reported to any news reports, uh, news outlets. Yes. Funny thing about that. Don't Funny know how thing. that happened. Yeah, weird. So, your elevator comes to a stop at the top of the Arcade Hotel and Casino, and you can feel the top. It's that nauseating understanding that you are 80 floors above ground level. You're looking out on all of Nevada, and as you pull out of the elevator doors as they ring open, you're out into a penthouse floor apartment. Absolutely gorgeous. Sprawled in that same gold trim, uh, carpets and furs and soft as far as the eye can see. A built-in bar off the left-hand side of the penthouse. Two floors, uh, I'm sorry, two rooms off of that, and then three off the right-hand side. On the far end, behind this massive desk in the center of the room, just before the windows, is a perfect view of Las Vegas, pointed directly at the Strip. You can see every other casino and the full view 
of paradise from this point in the uh, the, the penthouse. Uh, your obviously uh, first uh, view of living or unliving persons are two guards at the front of the elevator wielding uh, submachine guns. Uh, not at the hands, but at the chest, ready for anything that goes wrong. Um, and there are three more very peculiar, um, maybe somewhat familiar, at least in uh, in hearsay rather than vision. But you see three very important individuals. One of them, uh, a black man, uh, very tall, six foot two, uh, with a large fur-lined coat perfect brown fur that's been spruced up over a three-piece suit buttoned meticulously all black with a white shirt underneath and a matching black and white pinstripe tie that runs down the center beautiful tie clip with a rose straight through it um and just immaculately dressed beautiful individual with this uh a trimmed neat beard a scar that runs on under his right cheek and across uh, maybe the only blemish on his skin. He's absolutely radiant in this lighting. These powerful golden chandeliers above him cast this beautiful light down on him. And you can already feel that familiar charm that you give off in everything you do, John. Sometimes players can recognize a player. Hmm. And in this room, you definitely feel as though you two have this animalistic charm about you that is undeniable to anyone that sees you in the same way the taurus could not take their eyes off you you being the undead creature that you are still feel a pull to looking at this man and the sparkle of his his amber eyes behind his lids uh you can tell even before you've stepped out of the elevator that he's sizing you up behind him flanked in a large green duffel coat and these tight uh, sort of think um, like hiking uh, regalia almost under uh, is a bald uh, individual. Uh, they're very uh, beautiful, uh, androgynous in feature, uh, but with this immaculate makeup that she's applied in these black uh, dashes that uh, surround her eyes and then stretch down in triangles uh, along her face. These black painted uh, lips, they're um, wielding a large, massive German executioner sword on their back that ends in the, the uh, beveled off tip so that it cannot actually stab. It's just meant for mm. chopping. Cleaver. Yes. And then the final individual is a waspy, red-headed, um, very Greek-looking uh, individual who is standing off the side by the bar with a drink in his hand, uh, a suit and vest combination with his arms uh, cuffed at the elbows, and he holds himself in such a way that he feels constricted, like he's under high pressure. He's standing as if controlled inside of himself um, and, and hiding his face under his hands as he's watching you from afar. Um, the two do not speak, neither do the bodyguards. And as the elevators open, all that can be heard is that same performative jazz playing in through the penthouse. Only now it feels live, as if maybe there's a pianist in another room. Um, and you're left with the sort of silence as you empty out into the room. It is painfully quiet in this room outside of the music. And you can tell that these three individuals are analyzing every inch of who this Hawaiian shirt is 
I can assume the big guy with the with the presence is Aloysius Grant. That is Aloysius Grant, the Prince of Las Vegas. I think Burroughs recognizes the awkwardness, but hears the music and has a long way to walk to, to meet up with Grant on the other side of the thing. I think eventually he starts kind of like doing a little a little tap dance, a little a little kind of responding to the jazz. Right. Just to see if he can get anybody in the room to 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 move or react at all. Just just a kind of a friendly shuffle towards them. You already, as soon as it begins, it breaks something in Aloysius' study of you. He grins. It's this big uh, sort of one-sided grin that, that fills his face and he flashes these beautiful white pearly teeth. Uh, and he starts to laugh along with you and he, he claps to it. Uh, you can tell that the, the bald person behind them um, with, with the sword at their back, they're smirking as well. Uh, in their smirk, it feels almost challenging. Like, sure. what the fuck is this guy doing? Sure. But Grant seems genuinely amused by this entrance. He says, oh, John, I I knew you had to make an entrance, didn't you? Mr. Grant, and I'll extend a hand to shake his. He steps up. He steps away from his desk. He comes out to you. He says, when you're in my house, you'll address me as Prince. It's good to meet you, John. Neil, kiss the ring. And he puts out his hand, and there's this large sigil ring with a rose emblazoned into the gold. And he sets it out in front of him. He's cordial. He's polite. In fact, he almost says it in a jest when he suggests yeah. you call him Prince. But he denies that handshake and definitely uh, puts it out for you. Burroughs immediately like scolds himself in his head like fuck of course that's what you do when you meet the prince you don't shake his hand you know he, he he's reminded that there's a lot of new things in the world that he's he's still getting a grasp on uh, and, and it inside it really bothers him that he has to do this but he like pushes through he gets on his knee and he looks at that ring before he gives it a kiss and then he'll stand up and as soon as you get your body to lean in and touch those lips to that ring, you can hear him again in that pit of your heart. Uh, it, it's like a disease that sits there in that undead vessel that doesn't even beat anymore, so why should it speak? But he speaks again. Why should we ever kneel for someone like him? We're the king of the fucking world. And you have to fight off that just to get the kiss to the ring. And Prince looks absolutely elated that you did. He says, oh, get up. That's enough. Very good, John. I'll, I'll probably stand up and, and uh, just say, uh, you got a beautiful place, man. Uh, you know, directing my, play, directing my gaze to some of the things, but I'll come to his coat and I'll point out the fur and I'll say, Mink? <laughs> Could say something like that. Not exactly, but that's close enough. I'm glad you like the place, John. Are you enjoying yourself here at the arcade? Uh, you've all been uh, real nice to me, so yeah, sure. I'm I'm enjoying myself just fine. Uh, good. Anything I you... can do to be of service? Oh, that's good. Uh, did you enjoy your fries? <laughs> oh, they, uh, they tell you about that kind of thing? I didn't yeah. think you worried about that. Oh, no, you're a man of taste. We have to make sure you're abided by. A little too much garlic, but I liked it. He looks at 
the the bald person and then to the redhead over by the bar and they all sort of share a laugh a little too much garlic john you always have a, a sense of personality or at least that's that's what i've heard um I, i've been let in a, a lot in your uh, story in my new uh, my new installation as as prince i've been made to know your uh, trials and tribulations what you've been through everything that you've seen everything that you've lost and i just want you to know that i'm sympathetic to your cause john well i appreciate it man it's been a it's been a long time coming to be honest with you i've been in the shadows for a while the camarello didn't even let me out until recently uh it's nice to know i got a prince who's willing to give me a chance well john I want you to know that this wasn't the Camarilla's doing. This was Dr. Cost doing. This was former management making a decision that no one agreed with. And now he has no position to defend that agreement. So don't go blaming the organization for the man at the top's decision. Some of us make bad decisions. You were one of our bad decisions. But we're looking to rectify. This world here and he stops and he points out to the view of Vegas out there. It's a beautiful thing. A lot of intricate, moving pieces. And when something like what happens to Arthur Cost happens, well, the world changes. And after a period of change, it's up to us to wait till the dirt settles and then build bricks from those dirt, build buildings build a new world order in our image in an image that does better than the last don't you agree more than you know man that that actually really speaks to me oh good i'm glad we're speaking to each other then john i'm gonna give you a chance i believe that you're worthy of one and i feel like we've kept you in in the wings a little too long like I said, anything you need, I'm here for you. As of today, your conservatorship, as we like to call it, is over. We will no longer be looking after you. We will no longer be keeping you in the dark. John, Vegas is yours again. We're going to release your financials. We're going to open the gates. And you have no responsibilities outside of a few I'm going to outline for yourself. I just got one request. Uh, I call you Prince. You call me Burroughs. <laughs> sure. I can honor a request, can't I? And he takes a look again at those two guests. Burroughs. Burroughs, this is a new leaf for you. New world. And there are only two things I ask of you. The first, while you're in my city, officially, now, you are a new person. I will treat you as though uh, I treat anyone that comes in off the street looking to suck a few necks and act as though they own my city. If you make a decision that goes against what we have set up as this little paradise, then things will be done to rectify your mistakes. Same as anybody else. 
you follow the traditions that we've set afoot uh, a, a here in the Camarilla, and you abide by the masquerade, and I will see to it that you are not harmed, moved, shut away ever again. Sounds like a good deal. Some Sounds like a deal the Lord made with Abraham or something. Biblical, that's what I mean. You're a religious man? Not so much in the past, but recently I'm reconsidering things, yeah. It's an interesting monster that finds God after death. Well, sometimes uh, what you're looking for is forgiveness. And uh, I believe the Lord's the only one that can give it. I think Cain went looking for forgiveness, too. And, well, he became us. I think you go looking for it too long and you end up living forever. Some things you just have to admit you had to do. But that's conjecture. I could do that all day. And frankly, I don't know that we've earned that yet. Let me detail what else I need from you. I have a job for you, Mr. Burroughs. Good. What is it? It's to be at my beck and call. If I call on you, and we give you credence to perform a mission for us, then you do so. And now is the first of those times. I, if you complete this for us, then my deal stands. You can be as free as you like in this city. Am I working alone, or am I part of a team? You're a part of an experiment if I were to call it anything. It is a mistake if I were to call it the least. Um, listen, we are in dire straits. Uh, the, the situation is this. We have entered into an uneasy truce that none of us plan on abiding to for very long, meaning that we may uh, need to make fast action if we are to gain anything from this position. The Anarchs, on the east side of town have uh, brought themselves into a situation where one of their barons has gone loose in our domain. We picked him up for committing uh, crimes that go directly against our traditions and ruin our position within the Camarilla and have kept him hostage to, well, to make him pay for his crimes. Uh, and because of this, we have uh, something very important in a political situation, in a game of uh, chess, and that is a chip. Not just a betting chip, but a bargaining chip. We have something they want, their person back. We have something we want. There is a item of particular interest to the Camarilla that is far from my purview considering the level of attention on Las Vegas currently. Now, all of this is to say that this is where you come in. With the Anarchs needing their person back from our hostage, and with myself needing that item as fast as I can, we are in a position to assist each other, the Anarchs and the Camarilla. But to do so, we need a third party to go about the exchange. 
Would you like to? Yes. Very astute, Burroughs. So I'm, uh, I'm making a trade for you. That's it. Yes. You are going to take a team, an untested team, a team of uh, fledglings who have not been uh, given the opportunity to join or apply to any sect. They have no position in the Ivory Tower nor in the Anarchs of the Free Nation of Las Vegas. And so you can be trusted at least to die trying. If you go to this location in Denver, Colorado and pick up the item of interest, bring it back to me and my people alive with no information leaking to my Anarch rivals, then you will be given a place in paradise, in the meadows of Nevada. I will set you up in the Camarilla, make you a fully-fledged member if that's something you desire, or I will leave you alone for the rest of your unlife until the day you meet God. It's my kind of you, it's, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, absolutely. I'll do whatever I can to uh, help you get this thing back. Uh, when do I begin? In two weeks' time. We're still putting together a team of which you will be unofficially in charge of. Unofficially want... as in they don't know, or unofficially as in they know but nobody else knows? They don't know. You are to be my arm in this race. I see. Well, I'm not much of a liar, but I'll do my best. Oh, come on, Burroughs. I'm sure you can put on a pretty face and tell somebody something they want to hear. I suppose I can, yeah. You'll be the driver as well. I assume that given your clan blood, you have some awareness of uh, routing and mapping out the Nevada desert, or at least access to the Vardo maps. Uh, If not, those will be provided for you, and you'll be given a mapped out route to Denver with suitable locations for bedding down for the night and alternate Uh, routes. I'll be good. I've done a lot of touring in this uh, part of the country, so I know my way around. I see. Well, it's beneficial that our team will have you then. When you arrive, you'll speak with the representative, give him our word on my behalf, receive the briefcase, and whatever imports have been arranged for the Anarch team, um, and then bring yourself back to Las Vegas in one piece. The uh, straightforward approach of this mission is that the Anarchs have already provided to distract Border Patrol teams. Uh, Second Inquisition parties have been masquerading as them for months now in search of us. So the Anarchs will provide proper distraction to keep your team safe on the way to and from. Sounds like a hell of a time. It does. I'm not saying it won't be uh, dangerous. It will be. There's a chance you'll lose your life. But that's why you're, you're being sent and no one else. I couldn't spare anyone. Not anyone important, at least. Well, if you know my story, you know I got wartime experience, so uh, I think I'll be all right. Yes, I I assume you'll do well. I believe that's everything I have for you, Burroughs. 
I am of the belief that I am handing you an olive branch unprecedented by any prince before me. I shudder to think of a situation more beneficial to yourself. And I hope you understand who gave you this opportunity. Burroughs kind of stands or, you know, breaks the, the, the talk and just says, uh, I'll recognize it, Prince, and I'm going to do my best. Uh, I look forward to impressing you and uh, coming onto the team full time. Uh, I'll do you proud. I see. Well, it is an odd moment that the master spares the rod. But if it's anything that I have learned from personal experience, the second that he does, you remove it entirely. So take this. Make something of it, Burroughs. Something they didn't let you in that hole. I will. Perfect. Well, uh, in that case, you have a full run of the arcade. If you'd like to stay for the night, I can post you up. Um, or if you prefer to go back to your dredges, that's understandable. Uh, Actually, I, I haven't stayed here before, so I would appreciate a night. <laughs> I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. We are going to set you up. You'll have one of the penthouses for the night if you'd like. Uh, you'll have full run of the casino. Just please be nice to my wait staff. I hope my reputation precedes me. I'm a real nice guy. <laughs> oh, do you hear that, Cisco? And he looks back at the bald person there with the sword. They regard you with a, a cold, steely look. He's a nice guy. He's going to take good care of you here. I think I'll point out. I'll point to the bald guy and say, "He'll." I'll point to the sword and be like, "Japanese." They sort of uh, adopt a, a shoulder roll there to seem a little more imposing. They're about five feet tall, maybe very, very short. The sword is probably as big as they are, um, and they go, "No, not exactly." You sure. should. Good. <laughs> I knew that, it was one of those two. That's All a right, good eye. Well, I'll, I'll see y'all later. Perfect. It was good to see you again, Burroughs. He comes up and he gives out the ring again. I hope I see you soon. I'll probably, you know, bow, give the ring, you know, give the ring a kiss. And as I walk backwards, I just start singing some kind of hymn about how God is good. You know, God gives blessings and just kind of make my way out of the place. Yeah, uh, the last thing he leaves you with is just that repeated sentence. It's a strange monster that uh, finds God after death. And the doors of that elevator shut, and <sighs> there's that big, deep mm -hmm. breath of, oh, my God, at, at long last, that man has stopped talking. Yeah, I, I, and I think as I'm descending that song, which was like a friendly kind of whisper of how God is good, Burrow starts singing it, like, at the top of his lungs, you know, you know, finally revealing how powerful of a voice he has for himself, ju just to like comfort himself in that in this moment of holy shit, I just met the prince, and I, you know, I'm powerful too, and like you know, I sing out, and then right before I get to that first level, I I, I quiet down again. Yeah, there is a shudder of the lights for just a brief second, and your mind chalks it up to the construction that's going on in this building. 
but that shutter of that light gives you this brief reflection of yourself in the mirrored texture of the elevator in front of you. And you're sitting there songbirding out in this this powerful display, this rush of adrenaline as the, the song finds you and God fills this elevator. And you can see yourself sort of multiplied in the reflection and it dances out as the doors open right in there, ding, as you fall back into the lobby. And it's a mess of people out here. You're, you're probably... 11.30 at night at this point um, and the the masses are in full force looking out to spend every last dollar in the casino here. Um, it is a buzz of laughter, of sound of movement and you can't help but think of how they have no idea what just happened 80 floors up and they will never truly know what this man is doing just above their heads. Um, you're back in Vegas. I, I have Burroughs has two main things that he would do. Um, the first is he'll probably leave the casino. And what what part of town is he in right now? So you're just south of Strip. So you're maybe like a 10-minute walk from getting back in. I think you're on Dean Martin Way, which is like okay. um, if you get to like – uh, do you know where the the Castle Casino is at the over by New York, New York, basically at the bottom of the strip? I'm, For, I'm looking at the map now, trying okay. to gauge myself. So I'm looking at Dean Martin Boulevard. Yes. Yeah. So you're you're towards there. You're not far from the strip. Uh, you normally live uh, closer to Spring Valley, mm -hmm. which is further south from the strip. It's a little more local. Yep. It's to the side of the airport itself. Um, John is not really sporting traditional digs whatsoever. I, I mean, from what you've told me, he's staying in motels and everything, right? What's his living situation? I mean, his living situation is that pretty much every night it's somewhere else. He has enough of a social life with people that he cares about that he'll spend one night a week, basically, with these people. But um, he's wandering most of the time. So he, he has a sort of rotation then, like yeah. he maps out a different part of Vegas. He's got it figured out where, uh, you know, you know, once every day he moves a little farther uh, and spends the night. Yeah. At a different kind of uh, suburb or area. Well, leaving the casino, that same receptionist does come by uh, as if already hearing from the prince somehow and gives you a room key for the night as well as. Uh, a card, blank, white, with just the the credit card digits itself on the front. And it looks as though it's some sort of charge card you've been given as well for the night. Um, courtesy uh, thanks, of man. Uh, I got uh, to run a couple errands, but I'll, I'll be back. Absolutely, sir. Would you like anything prepared for your room for, for when you return? Uh, no, no. Just, it'll be fine. Thank you. If, if you would like, we could prepare. Um, and he looks a little shifty making direct eye contact with you and then breaking it immediately we could prepare dinner uh no no i i can take care of my own dinner thank you sure sure absolutely sure sure he looks almost nervous even to broach the subject and starts to scurry off back to his uh his desk there uh i think that he would leave and he would head to kind of the eastern part of the town. Now that I know that the Anarchs are somewhat on the east side, yeah. I'm not going to really like go looking for them. I'm I'm really just going more for just the vibe and I'm going to try to find like a pawn shop 
um, okay. near the east side of town Got that it. I know sells like quality jewelry and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'll find one um, and I will purchase two rings. I'm going to okay. purchase two gold rings. Uh, there's uh, an attractive blue one that has a blue <laughs> crystal on it. I'll put that on my pinky. And there's another one with a, a cross, kind of like a Russian cross on it. And he's going to put, he's going to buy that. And and when he's buying them, he's thinking about Grant's ring, the prince's ring that he had to kiss. And he puts them on, and he just feels a little bit better. You know, he 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 doesn't haggle. He gives them what they're asking for. He pays for these rings, and he walks out. You know, back into the night with some new rings. Walking. Back out of that pawn shop, you catch yourself in the reflection of that door again, just like the elevator. But this time, it's glinting off these two new gold rings that you just bought out of your own pocket. For a brief second, you're you're just caught looking at the way it, it cascades off your hand, the, the light that shines off of it. And that voice in that dead heart speaks up again. Kiss the ring. Oh, and it feels good, damn it. It feels great. I buy them and I and I do that uh, thing that the character does in in House of Cards, and you know knock, knock on the <laughs> yeah. table and, and and make my way out and um, probably walk around the east side of town until yeah. I know it's time to pick up my girlfriend. Got it. And, and I'm just kind of seeing if I notice anybody that I you know I feel that predator likeness with and what you know what the vibe is of the anarchs because i've never really interacted with the anarchs much so i'm aware of them but i don't really know much about them right so you go searching yeah uh, d does burroughs drive or is this sort of a stroll through town? i don't think burroughs has a car right oh no he he does have a car uh so yeah i'll say that he's got uh some some 1970s i'll come back another day like with, an oldsmobile you know, or something like, i'm thinking very boxy maybe, like, maybe a town car or something yeah. like that yeah. yeah so you're cruising in this would-be town car whatever it is we'll fill this in later i uh, think baby ooh. blue baby ooh. blue town car Ooh, yeah. nice little light blue um it's nearing midnight and you know that lydia gets off gets off her shift around midnight um you think it was 12 30 tonight but it's just enough time you know that the best place to find the Anarchs, or at least the hottest spot for them, is over by Fremont Street. It's either uh, it's the northeast of Vegas, basically, off of the Strip. It's the second Strip, they call it, the local Strip. It's where, if you know the town and you don't have money, you go. You stay at the Golden Nugget. You pay $30 a night for a piece of shit roach room and... You stay on the, the Fremont Strip and you watch street performers perform and homeless people shit in the streets mm -hmm. in tandem, in perfect, beautiful harmony. Um, and it does not take long rolling through that that uh, tough... Even on a Tuesday, there's traffic in Vegas because Vegas has no concept of, of anything other than this constant commerce that is running through this part of town. And Fremont still sees a lot of it. Fremont is the runoff of everything that the strip shits out, right? And you are driving straight through it. And every so often you'll drive past a part of town that feels like you do. And you start to feel like you're getting closer and, and closer to what you're looking for. Um, remind me, what uh, disciplines are we working with with Burroughs? Uh, Burroughs 
has um, presence. Okay. And dominate. Right. And a little bit of animalism. That's right. That's right. Okay, cool. Just wanted to be aware. Yeah. Um, yeah. You pull up uh, alongside an intersection, and there is this sort of chain link fence parking lot to what is obviously a really shitty dive bar. Um, but it is, it has one of those familiar rows of bikes out in front, with those long topped, uh, 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 handlebars and, you, you know, obvious full on, uh, biker club or writer's club, uh, association right there out in the front. And you can see, uh, just out in front, um, by the doors, this very large, huge individual, um, and he's bouncing at the front of this door. Um, and letting in some others that are walking through with these motorcycle jackets on. Um, and it says uh, uh, Eastside Conquerors on their back. Um, mm. And emblazoned in the center is this skull with a boot uh, cracking the forehead, basically. And that's their, their icon on the back there. Nice. Um, and Burroughs gets a sense. He yeah. doesn't know what, but this is definitely something. Yeah, I, I, he he's like kind of just cruising, just kind of driving around. He'll stop. He'll look at place like like you said, places that give him a vibe. He'll stick around and just watch. And um, certainly, you know, he's heard the anarchs are meant to be, you know, uh, uh, more democratic, and yet they're called the conquerors. He finds that yeah. kind of amusing, yeah. uh, or at least this this group, at least. Um, I I don't think he'll really engage with any of them. He's mostly just like. Dip, dipping his toe into the water of, of experiencing the other side of vampire society. Well, if he is looking for what is the other side, he, he's seen the arcade. Uh, if he's wondering what that other side of things, the whisper on the wind uh, has all always been Ellis Iverson. He's the one that everyone mentions. Um, and that is one of the most popular barons of the free uh, free state of Las Vegas, basically free state of Nevada, what they call themselves. Um, he has always been the firebrand, um, and that thought would probably lead Burroughs straight through to Fremont Street to the main thoroughfare, which is this big walking distance. If you've ever seen those big zip lines that they have in Vegas, yeah. that runs squarely over where we are now. It's this long walkway where every living person is drunk. And if you're not, you're in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. It reeks of piss in some locations, beer in others, and perfume in the last. Um, you can see the full dredges of humanity. Uh, prostitutes selling themselves a block away from people going into an M&M store. Uh, you have... Uh, you know, people who are obviously rolling around in parking lots selling drugs to each other. The, this long stretch of tourists that are uh, trying to experience what Vegas is really like at one o'clock in the morning on Fremont Street and thinking that's really what they're getting. But there is a spot that you've heard of that you remember H.H. Uh, talking uh, specifically about this place. Uh, in his rambling tones, H has always told you that uh, this was a place where movers and shakers made terrible deals over better people, as he puts it. Um, 
It's a bar called the Belvedere. It's a two-story sort of terraced bar that uh, Fremont has these sections where it's almost like uh, you walk up a set of stairs and on the second floor you have uh, buildings that go from both floors in, but they can only be accessed from that balcony. The Belvedere sits on the corner of that that looks over all of Fremont, straight down to the zip lines, right under the lights. And you can see that there's these... Uh, like full-on gas stove uh, lighters that are are shooting fire from the sides like campfires almost. Hmm. And this long terrace off the top that overlooks everything. It's like an outside drinking area off the balcony of Fremont Street. Obviously one of the more expensive locations. And Burroughs knows this is the place. This is the Anarch home right here. This is where... The movers and the shakers make bad deals with good people. Definitely pocket that away in my mind of you know how how to get here, and uh, tempted to to walk in, but he's going to resist, and instead he'll probably walk around the area, kind of park the car, walk around a little bit, and I would imagine that somewhere nearby there's probably like a a get married chapel, like a, you know, it's one of those chapels and yeah, walk long enough and you will find a chapel in every part of Vegas. And and Um, I think he, he probably comes to it and notices it and stops and sees the, the cross. And is kind of just like staring at the cross for a little while. The, uh, you know what? I'll go as far as, as giving you this because I do have a chapel. You are out in front of, um, the Lonely Hearts uh, Chapel of Las Vegas. And there is a neon sign right outside of it. Uh, that cross itself is laced in this pink neon um, that then flashes red. Uh, it's on this sort of fade into pink and red. And then the Lonely Hearts uh, Chapel, its icon itself is a neon sign off the side as well. And it's a little broken heart mm-hmm. that the neon puts it back together on these alternating steps, right? The the pink heart turns into a full red and then back to the broken pink. Uh, on uh, So on and so forth. It looks completely dead. The lights are off uh, in the lobby. If it is open, it, it must be on motion sensor and no one noticed that, that whatever it is. It doesn't look like the front door is uh, like uh, gated or anything like that. A lot of Las Vegas properties will put up those door gates because you're in Vegas. Um, but it looks like the the door is ready. Um, it just looks like an absolute ghost town of mm-hmm. a place, um, and there's plenty of people walking by, drunks uh, getting onto the next bar, and people going about their days. There's cars making traffic all over the place, but this place, it's haunted. It, it feels a little bit like you, Burroughs. By all means, this should be alive, but there's something about it inside that's just empty. And that's probably why he lingers so long is that there is some kind of weird vibe he's getting or a connection he's feeling and, you know, letting that pink and red light kind of wash over him. And, and I think he only really moves when some drunk tourists walk up and start taking selfies and, and photos and he feels like he's in their way. And he, so, he, so he kind of just shuffles out of the way as they're making a big to do. And he just I think he gets back to his car and goes to go pick up Lydia. Yeah. 
It's a strange thing to see people who are so wholly obsessed with the good time that they're having as as you're having this contemplation. And it's a feeling that every Las Vegas local has, but it's also a feeling that every monster has. You used to be that. You will never be that. That feeling is fleeting. And anytime you chase it, it's gone before you even think. And you ponder that as you get back into that town car and you drive off into Spring Valley where Lydia works. Um, and you eventually arrive at a rundown grocery store in front of a strip mall in Spring Valley. Um, it's called the Food to Buy, but the sign out, uh, outside shutters occasionally. And the U and Y in Food to Buy has died to reveal the building's true identity, Food to Be. <laughs> There's a <laughs> single sedan parked outside 20 years out of date with the world. Um, old windows that show you everything the place has to offer down its four aisles. You can see the whole fucking store from the outside. It's, it's one of those joints. These really powerful like laundromat fluorescents that run the whole length of the store. And the store itself could probably function as a two-bedroom apartment if you were really trying to zone Vegas out. Um, very small. Um, inside, the only living soul sharing its property because obviously you don't count, is a 50-something with her red-dyed jobbed hair pulled back high against her scalp to reveal sparingly gray roots. She looks tired. She looks like someone who used to be beautiful, but the world took that away too. And she looks completely and utterly bored as fuck. She's standing motionless at the register, as if she's not had a customer in ages and she is watching the clock on the wall standing like a bizarre picture uh you know like a painting in a picture frame here a tableau waiting for someone to notice appreciate and go oh that is quite sad isn't it uh, but no this is just her this is your lydia i've seen her do that before and i i hate to see her like that um so burrows will sneak into the um quietly you know go into the store and he's going to go to where you know they have those wall phones that you can make public announcements yeah. and he's going to jump onto it and just start very playfully lovingly singing you are the dancing queen young and sweet only 17 and <laughs> As soon as I do that, I, I she I, I would assume she kind of perks up and, yeah. and knows what what is going on because Burroughs often will kind of prank her or play these silly little jokes on her when he's picking her up. The the noise sends a jolt through her body and she suddenly becomes a living thing. Um, and she immediately blushes this beet red on this this old torn uh, you, you know tanned face. Um, she turns to you and she covers her mouth. She's like, oh my god. Would you stop that? Stop. Oh, my God. She's blushing completely. I hang up um, the phone and, and kind of start sh dancing my way towards her, continuing the song, eventually kind of connecting with her and like sweeping her up, even even, you know, even beyond her protests. She Just plays kind of her. meek and mild, but eventually plays into it and will do a little tiny dance with you. She has never been the performer that you are. But every time you get into this mood, you can tell she's falling a little bit more in love with that personality. Uh, from the beginning, you have been a force in her life that she just 
completely lacked. No one ever made her laugh. No one ever made her smile. No one ever took the chance on making her feel anything like this. And so you can immediately feel that connection as she's staring up at you and laughing. She says, uh, you know, you're a little late. Hey, I thought I was on time. I thought you said 1230. Oh, I said 12. I told you three times. Oh, shit. I'm sorry, baby. I that's, got got a little swept up and things. That's okay. That's okay. I just, I stayed open. I didn't know what to do. I, I figured if I'm here, I might as well keep the short, uh, store open, so. Well, you looked awfully pretty in that window, like a like a pretty little doll for me to buy. Oh, yeah? Real garbo? What, what did you think? Something like that, yeah. Yeah? Hey, uh, what do you think? How about I take you home, stop by, get some fried chicken or something, and oh. we have ourselves a time tonight? Fried chicken? It's not even Friday. What are you, what are you thinking, Burroughs? Oh, I'm acting crazy tonight, baby. Oh, you're always crazy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I think All right, once nice. you close up shop, I'll, I'll be waiting in the car. Sure. And, and she goes about going through the closing uh, procedures as you watch her. This uniquely ordinary individual that only came into your life after you became what you are. Um, and watching her close up is a weird sort of routine that brings you comfort in a way that the chapel couldn't. Um, it, it warms whatever you have, whatever's left whatever you're capable of to see someone so normal. Burroughs doesn't have a lot. Um, he doesn't have a lot anymore. He used to have a lot. And so, and, and, and a lot of it is purposefully, he's, he's purposefully living a kind of, he would say humble, uh, maybe kind of uh, a minimalist life. Mm -hmm. um, and she's one of those, she's one of those luxuries. She's one of those things that he can call him his own. Yeah. She shuts the door and locks it. And then in a rare spur of performance, she turns around and mimics his little dance back to the car. There's that go-go dancer I remember. Well, well, maybe when I was younger. I don't know about now. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, baby. I think you still got them. I don't think they let girls like me up on the stage without paying. When she gets in the car, I probably grab her, you know, like by her by her chin and kind of make her look at me. Uh -huh. And I say, I wouldn't be with you, baby, if I didn't think you were beautiful. You know that? You're too much. And, and she looks genuinely swept up. Um, and I, I think that you guys start to drive off yeah. in the direction. Yeah. She lives in a trailer suburb, which masquerades pretty well as a suburb of gated communities. Uh, there are a lot of them in Las Vegas where... Uh, these mobile homes are just sort of masqueraded behind cement walls to act as though this is a real place to live. Um, and they're sort of like more track houses than they are mobile homes. So it's, it's not a bad place to live by any means, but it's a cheap place to live. Um, and on the way, she sort of stops and, and looks at you and you can tell she's she has something on her mind and she thinks about saying it to you and completely stops before she can form the thought. Um, I know that look, what you got on your mind? No, it's, I don't wanna burden you with something that you have to take care of every time I see you. I feel like every time we talk, it's something new to fix and I don't want that for us. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what you mean, baby. What, what are you talking about? It's, it's Rick. Rick, and what, you, what, you know, Rick, 
Rick has been this terrible upstart of a child for as long as you've been involved in this scene. Her and child. Yes. Child is um, is a loose term, too, for a 22-year-old man. But uh, he definitely plays uh, in, into that feel. She she looks at you and she says, "She's ju- he's just been... He's been with the wrong crowd. He's been talking to the wrong people. And I think he's doing drugs. Yeah, it's the same old, same old. Uh, didn't you Didn't you say you were going to talk to him? I tried talking to him, and he said he had it handled. And I thought that maybe he meant it this time. He promised that he was going to get better, that he didn't want to be like his dad, his piece of shit dad. But I don't know. I think it was all lip service just to get me to lay off him. You know, if he's home now? Yeah, I think so. All right, well, let's get home and... You'll talk to him? Yeah, maybe I'll talk to him, yeah. Thank you, John. I was uh, kind of a rebel at his age, too, so maybe I can... Maybe I can find some common ground with him. You were a rebel? I don't believe that for a minute. (laughs) You've always been a sweetheart to me. Yeah, well, you bring it out of me. You know... It's been a year since I've known you. Shit. Uh, he, he genuinely, like, doesn't realize that, but doesn't doesn't make it too obvious because he doesn't want to come off like he's completely... It's more just like time wow. has no purpose anymore for him, so it's yeah. he just stopped paying attention. But he's like, oh, in fact, I think he would probably play it down. Like, oh, yeah, yeah hey, you know, I, I was thinking uh, maybe next week I can pick you up. We can go, uh, go out uh, drinking, dancing, something nice. I would love that. I love that. I mean, I could take a day off and maybe we could make a whole day of it. We could go out somewhere. Maybe we could go see the Red Rocks. Baby, always... baby, baby. I already told you. I'm busy during the day. I can only see you at night. You know my you know my situation. I know. I just... Work can't let you off for just a day? I'm not going to talk about it with you, okay? All you need to know is I'm going to pick you up next week. We're going to have a good time. No questions. Go ahead and give me a manipulation. And I'll let you decide this. Is this manipulation in subterfuge because you are lying? Or a manipulation in persuasion because you're abstaining from the truth? Well, I'd like to say that I'm abstaining from the truth. Although it really does feel like a subterfuge. I just have nothing in... Wait, I do have... um... I do have uh, a specialty in gaslighting under persuasion. Let's gaslight, Let's baby. Gaslighter. Session one, we got a gaslighter. <laughs> okay, so performance and manipulation, that's four. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, wow, that's uh, oh, actually a 10, so that's one success. Okay, one success, that's all you need. She is adoring to you. She is under your thrall constantly. And I do not doubt that you have awe and inspired here. To try and yes, keep I her... do have awe. Good, beautiful. Oh, in fact, I forget. So, so in that situation, could I have rolled an extra die? Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay, give me that just, die right now. Let's just see. Let's just see if I get a. Oh, another ten. That's two tens. That's a crit. So that's yeah. four successes right there. Nice. Nice. She stops immediately and she says, "I'm so sorry. I asked. I I know that that's your one thing, and you've told me so many times, and I need to be better about that. I'm I'm so sorry. I just thought for our no, forget what I thought." And I just let her finish the thought, let her finish the, the, the understanding and, you know, with a smile, pull into the, the, you, you can feel a warmth of that fire in you just like before, but 
whatever it is, the voice is pleased by what you just did. Moving in through the trailer park, uh, Lydia gets out and she punches in the little digit code on the keypad outside and the gate starts to move past. Um, as you're pulling through and you're, you're, you take the first left in and you're moving uh, to her little pink trailer track house that she bought years ago for herself when she thought she was only going to be there for a year and ended up there for 10. <laughs> um, as you're pulling up into that parking spot, go ahead and give me a wits and awareness roll to see if you can discern anything about this location. Sure. Uh, nothing in awareness. So here we go with wits. Uh, that's one success with a six. Awesome. Okay. Just out of the corner of your eye. You don't catch it nearly as quick as you needed to, but you do get a flash as you see a body hurdling itself over the cinder block wall behind the track house itself. And it's a familiar form. It's the form of Rick, the 22-year-old uh -huh. son of your darling girlfriend, as he is throwing himself over the fence um, halfway cascaded over the top and you can see his pants are falling down around his underwear that kind of pulling himself up and he's trying to hitch these you know huge jeans that he's wearing over everything and he's just barely pushed himself over and you can see the, the white tank top he has is kind of sprawled up his back and the hoodie he has is jangling off the side. He's desperately scrambling to get to the other side and just as soon as you've seen it he's on the other side. So he's heading towards the trailer home. Yeah. So you are parking, the trailer yeah, is behind. in front of you. Yeah. He's behind, ditching out to what is like an alleyway behind apartment complexes that then leads to a main street. I, I, okay, so I think I would tell Lydia, baby, go inside. I think I heard something like, you know, just, just trying to get her inside. She's and panicked. She, she asks you what's going on, but complies. She goes yeah, inside. Yeah. Um, I have a small, I think I've got an old flip phone yeah. that I think I probably turn on as soon as I make the corner. Okay. And just say something like, VPD, let me see your hands, man. Okay. All right. Let's get a roll to discern if you can catch up with them just in time oh, sure. to uh, to get to them. Let's do athletics, which I'm sure Burroughs is just full of athletics with his form. <laughs> no athletics. <laughs> athletics and dexterity. Dexterity. Or if you don't have athletics, let's take dexterity and uh, we'll give you a dex and stam. Dex and stam. Okay, that's a little better. Let's see what I can do with four. Here we go. Uh, there we go. Uh, that's three successes. Okay, three successes. You pull around. You whip out the, the phone and everything. You flash it in his direction. Um Give me a intimidation and manipulation to decide whether he complies. As uh, as you turn around, you can see he's kind of jumbling up his pants, and he's starting to move past on the other side himself. Looks like he's pursuing something as you're pulling around and uh, pulling this uh, this cop routine. Okay, um, so yeah, yeah, I, I come around the corner. I rolled two fives, so that's two failures. Um, I think okay. he probably could tell who it is or something, yeah. you know. He's like, what the fuck, Gramps? And he keeps running straight down the alleyway. You can see him uh, starting to take off. Uh, and it's just as you round this corner, as he doesn't stop for you, that you realize what he's chasing after. There is an individual uh, cast under these like back porch lightings that run this 
uh, alleyway behind these apartment complexes, four apartment complexes, two on either side. So you've got a long stretch of alleyway that acts almost like a street, but then uh, empties out into an actual main intersection. Um, but he is chasing an individual much taller than him, maybe six foot three, beefy looking fucker, um, uh, big muscles, uh, a, uh, a shirt with the arms uh, sort of ripped off at the hinges. Think like workout shirt. No sleeves. Um, yeah, red uh, uh, down uh, the shirt itself with a sort of a graphic on the back. Um, these jeans that are pulled up high, uh, sneakers. And then in his back pocket is a black bandana, full uh, solid black with white lettering um, that spells F-U-C. <laughs> um, um, so fuck is running away. Yeah. He's, he's got a plastic bag in one hand. He's laughing laughing at uh rick behind him as he, he runs away um i i'd like to knowing that w this guy is if if ricky actually catches up with him is gonna totally get his ass kicked i'm looking out more for lydia than anything i'm gonna use my dominate ability i'm gonna use compel okay to call out to rick and just say stop uh to charisma plus dominate versus intelligence plus resolve roll okay all right, let's go for it. So you go ahead and roll your pool. I'll roll Ricky's so terrible dominate. Pool. I've got charisma. Okay, so here we go. That's, what do I have? Yeah. It's intelligence and what was that? It, it, and resolve. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. Rick's not going to do too well there. I don't even know if I should roll. Uh, three successes, a six, a seven, and a yeah. ten. Uh, you, uh, I, it's near unfailable here. Rick is a very small-minded individual, and the beast basically reaches out and grabs him. How does this compel form itself on, on Burroughs? What does I, this moment look like? I think that, you know, the, the, the street is lined with, like, street lamps, and I think they do up to... Um, up to Ricky, they suddenly like cut out, and his right. voice, like an echo, like if it's in a a cave, kind of reaches him, and he just is paralyzed by it. Right. And I just, and as I walk up to him, the light slowly, you know, come on again. I love that. Now, does, on shoulder. does it say if compel requires a rouse check? Let's check that as well. Uh, I didn't see anything about that. Uh, okay. Cost is free. Duration, no more than a single scene. Cost is free. Okay, yeah. so if the cost had said Rouse check, it would decide whether you're hungry or not. Um, but you have him. You grip him, and the fear in his face is palpable. He turns around looking at you as though he's just heard the word of God itself, staring at you, dumbfounded, his muscles completely relaxed and his body turns completely still as he lets the other uh, the the fuck run away um he does uh turn around that uh gentleman with the plastic bag and he shouts back at you um yeah that's right fuck you punk ass bitch this shit is mine and he turns the corner and runs completely out uh rick is dumbfounded staring at you completely motionless has not made a sound He's Your mom was worried about you, Ricky. Let's let, let's get back to the uh, trailer park, and I'll put a hand on his shoulder and like start kind of moving him in that oh, direction. Man, that was no. Oh shit, man, no. What, oh. what were you in such a uh, such a hurry for? What was that I, about? That fucker took every dollar we had, man. 
Oh every... shit, mom's gonna kill me, man. Hey, what do you mean every dollar? What, what'd you do? Oh shit, man, I was just trying to bum some, man. I, I had a little money, but ah, fuck, mom keeps a drawer in her room and I just thought I, I'd pay it back after my shift, but fuck, dude, he took all of it, man. He ran the whole fucking room. Oh shit. You took your mama's money? Yeah. Anybody ever tell you that's a stupid thing to do? Well, fuck, dude. Yeah, I had, I had a thought, but you don't fucking get it, man. You don't get it. You don't. No, get no, no. What no. You, you, you don't get it, man. What you don't understand is you're, you're driving your mama crazy. Okay, she's trying to be a good woman, trying to have a good life, and you're wasting her money, wasting her time. What about finding that apartment, huh? What, what about moving out? Fuck, man, I don't know. Uh, rent's fucking crazy. It's Las Vegas. Get off my ass. Who the fuck are you, dude? Like, you just lost me like 600 bucks, man. I'm someone who can make you lose a lot more if you don't uh, if you don't start taking care of your mom a little bit better, all right? He looks visibly touched by that. Something in your face. Something in the, the fire that's starting to build in you. Yeah. And he's starting to connect the two ideas of... of fully losing his sprint and going look man I don't want whatever the fuck you want with my mom okay I didn't sign up for this shit you 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 two can do whatever the fuck you want but leave me out I'm gonna grab out. him by the neck and just be like that's right we are gonna do whatever the fuck we want so tonight you're gonna be a good little boy you're gonna go inside you're gonna have some fried chicken with me and your mama and then you're gonna find a fucking way out of here okay you're gonna find an apartment tomorrow you hear me is this question is this a part of your dominate or is this unabated this is just intimidation is this something that you're trying to call out to with the beast or is this something just raw off of who burrows is i think it's kind of more who burrows is like he's having a hard time distinguishing the two because because right now he, he He's already made up his mind about what he's going to do about Ricky. Yeah. Right now, he's just trying to get this idiot to dinner to put a smile on her face so that when she goes to bed, she thinks things are going to be okay for a little bit. That's all he wants to do. Okay. He looks visibly shaken by whatever you're, you're doing to him. And he stops and he rears back for a second. And then he holds himself. He pulls his, his fist down. He stares at you. He says, look, man, I don't know who the fuck you are, but fine. Fuck it. Whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll let him go and, and suddenly be his, his best friend, you know, kind of laughing and joking and, and, and we'll lead him back into the trailer park. And so look who I found. The prodigal son returns. Lydia smiles and instantly becomes the mother you always know she is, which is a giant pushover. Mm -hmm. She comes over and she hugs Rick and says, oh, how was your day? And she starts checking in with him and everything completely oblivious to this lost money. Rick is evading completely in the conversation. Oh, I was fine, Mom. Get off me. It's fine. I'm just going to have dinner with you guys and then go to sleep because I got work in the morning. And he takes a look at you, direct eye contact with you, and and I've got a few apartments I'm going to take a look at tomorrow. So, and Lydia looks overjoyed. Oh my God, you're oh my God, she's 
you know, adoring her son is if the slightest amount of effort has improved her mood entirely. Right, right. Um, I, I think we'd have dinner. Yeah. Um, eventually, Ricky excuses himself. I probably, you know, watch a, a an old movie with uh, Lydia. And then... Lydia falls asleep on the couch in shit. A, la- uh, yeah. a layer I, of blankets that you leave her on there. A, a, a part of him is relieved because he, although he likes making love to her, he's also like, as the years go on as a, as a kindred, it stops having the same kind of pleasure. Uh, he has to kind of force himself. I'm, I'm interpreting that lush, yes. uh, that that ability to like touch things and stuff. The blush of life. The is blush the of life. Yeah. So it's like he almost way. has to like rouse it in himself. Yes. But so when she's asleep, he's kind of uh, relieved by it. He brings her to the bed. He knows that he's only got another hour or two before sunrise, but he will go to Ricky's room, and he will drain Ricky of enough blood that I know that he will wake up in the morning feeling like complete shit. This is this is how I punish him. Right. You appear in the threshold of his room. It's dingy. It's got a uh, band poster on the front door yeah. there. It's half cracked open. You always know that it is. I like to think he's a juggalo. He likes he likes uh, ICP. We are going for the exact same vibe here. He is 100%. Yeah, he's probably got like a pair of Jinko jeans and a fucking the axe murderer poster on the right. front of his door, right? right? He's probably got the tattoo of it right here on his right bicep, um, a present for his 18th birthday. So you are in the Juggalos threshold, mm-hmm. um, and you can see him in there. He's passed out. You can smell weed. Yeah, um, but you know he goes for the harder stuff too. You know I, this because yeah. I think you've been here before, haven't you? I th- I, yes, absolutely. Um, as uh, I, I, as I kneel down to get close to his neck, um, I I kind of whisper to myself, "Lord, forgive him. He does not know what he do or what he does." And and then I will partake. I'll I'll taste him. Do you think that Burroughs is a particularly stealthy individual? Not really. No. Okay. Do you think that maybe some heavy footfalls in a track house? may cause some stirring in the sleep of a young individual. He is could. heavily drugged, but it could. could. Um, go ahead and give me a very light stealth and uh, dexterity roll. Okay. Let's see. Uh, that is one success. Okay. One success is enough. He blinks open for just a moment. Yeah, probably is as a praying if, over him awaking from a dream and stares off at the wall itself and you know that if you don't strike now there's no telling what could happen if he sees you and so your big hands clasp onto the jaw and the shoulder you pull him back what does this look like uh, first word that came to my head was communion but uh yeah it, oh. it, it feels like that it's uh you know he I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but the the bite of a of a kindred uh, actually feels kind of good to people. It so is I think me- at first he's scared, but then it's kind of like you know when, when you get that hit of heroin to the veins, there's a yes, it's calmness. very close to his hard drugs to begin with. The bite itself stirs, but as soon as your uh, your essence mingles with his, 
It is like uh, the numbness that a spider gives its prey or the mosquito when it drinks of its blood. You give him pleasure that is almost uh, like um, too much to handle for many people. It's intoxicating in your case. In fact, Ricky will be bidden to you and your existence because of that lingering kiss that you possess, Burroughs. And as you dig in, he finally rests and falls back asleep in your arms as you drain him of near every drop that he has. You are practiced. You're a cleaver. You are the worst of the worst when it comes to consuming. You possess the people that you love and use them like tools to get what you need. But that means that you're a very practiced individual when it comes to dinner time. And just like you told the receptionist, you can get your own. And you sit there and sip deep of this man. His resonance is very choleric. He takes tastes acidic in nature. Um, but it's good. It's warm. And that's something you almost never feel as it drips through your body, as it fills you. As you can feel that voice in your head start to dim as you take from him. Lydia tastes better, but... I'm doing this to, to, to make a point to him, you know, to punish him. Um, and, and I, uh, I view it, I view what I do as a cleaver, uh, as, a a, a, the right thing to do. The, the, you know, I, I'm, I'm not hurting random innocent people. I'm being very selective. And so when I feed, it doesn't, I don't feel guilty about it. It feels like at least I'm doing it to the people that trust me, that I trust. Nobody's getting hurt in the long run. It's just a little bit of loss of blood, you know? It's just a little off the top. Little Who could off ever the top. be harmed. Yeah. And I, I think I, I finish him and and wipe my mouth and I'll probably get out of there, head back to the, the hotel as soon as possible. Right. Uh, as you're leaving the the room itself, you again find another mirror. And you can see the glint off your gold rings with Rick's uh, body in the corner of the room, now near comatose. And you get a good picture of yourself in the dribble of blood that's leaning from your corners, uh, uh, burrows. And, and you can see yourself again, changed, uh, full of those rings, but also full of, of whatever makes Rick Rick. Um, you get out into your uh, town car, drive across town as the last dying vestiges of night head uh, in the other direction as the sun threatens on the other side. Uh, you've always liked beating the dawn before. Maybe it's something about being a Ravnos. Maybe it's something about being a wanderer, uh, a vagabond. But maybe it's also just something about being Burroughs. But you like the idea that you've only got minutes to live. Um, you fly back to the arcade. You fly back into that lobby. You're standing right there under the gold. With That's where I started. Rings. Just where you start. Just with some rings now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we can end uh, Burroughs' origin story right there, my what friend. A, what a great first session, man. That was I awesome. Know. Yeah. I, oh, it was such a good time. Um, <laughs> I hope that everyone else got a chance to enjoy it, and I'm so excited for everyone to see what Sergio has planned, because boy, do we have stuff planned. And Burroughs is just an incredible character, man. I, I, I had so much fun running it. I was I was worried about how I'd start, but 
I just fell right into it. It was great. I, I was really worried too. I was like, I don't know how this one-on-one's gonna go. It's like the first intro to the world. Like, right, so right. I, I think it went really well once we got into our group. Um, but, Can't wait till uh, we're all eight together. I know, July 2nd, we That's are going right. to be all together for our first real stream to see exactly the scenario that the prince uh, sort of ushered out for you. Amazing. So we'll see Amazing. how that goes. We're also going to have origin uh, episodes for each member of the Coterie to give them an example, just like we did Burroughs. So everyone gets a vibe like this. Um, those will be coming out on our Patreon the same that this one is. I don't know if they're going to come out all together or probably, periodically. Probably release them one at a time. Yeah, that yep. way we can all give them the focus they deserve. Well, thanks, but, Caleb. It was a great time. Yeah, thank you, man. I'm so, so happy we could do this. It was great. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. <laughs>